When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 433, and today we are talking about books being released on October 3rd, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! I would like to start off by apologizing. I (laughs) have a huge headache. I completely spaced out on the couch, and you were like, hey, ready to record? And I was like, ah! (laughs) Like, didn't realize what time it was. Then I wrote down the wrong episode numbers and zip code numbers in the notes, so we had to start (laughs) recording again. Um, But I think I'm all set now. Yeah. As long as I make the correct words about books, I think that's all that, (laughs) that matters. Yeah. Is this the biggest day of the year for book releases, or it's got to be close? I think it's the second biggest. I think one of the days in the spring was the biggest, but this is the biggest new release day of the last quarter of the year, for sure. Yeah. Just enormous. And now, like, when I look at November and December, I'm like, oh, there aren't that many books coming out, but I have to remember that there's three times as many books coming out in November and December than there were five years ago. Yeah. Like, publishers have really been adding books to those months, which is great, Mm -hmm. you know. But unfortunately, I still feel like we're in this pattern where major publications are like, here are the best books of the year! And they stop at, like, September or October. And it's like... Yeah. But there are still so many coming out. And then you have these weird... Like, zones where the books aren't chosen for the book year that they're coming out. Mm-hmm. And then they can't go on to the best for the next year. So yeah. they're just, like, in this gray area. I feel bad for them. I felt like that about, was it All the Light We Cannot? No, that's not right. One of my favorite books, it has light in the title from last year. What is that book? Oh, man, that's going to that's gonna bug me all episode now. <laughs> that's all right. You can look it up. <laughs> but it came out in December. And I remember trying to, like, get everybody to stop and look at this book before, but everybody's best of the year list had already come out in, like, October, November. Is it the one with the purple cover with the gold? Yeah, with the fish. Oh, no. With the fish. No, that's not what I'm thinking of. (laughs) I'll figure it out later. (laughs) Speaking of, I don't know. Sometimes Google is so helpful and sometimes it's so unhelpful. And the reason I got so confused is because I tried to look up a corresponding area code to the episode number, which is 433. And it says, yes. Google is like, yes, this is an area code in Maryland. And then when you click on it, it says, no, this is an area code for Austria and uh, also in Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, and the area code is 443 in Maryland, and somehow I got confused and wrote down 443. So if you live in the 433 area code, I don't know where you are. <laughs> so hello to you wherever you are. Um, but I don't, I don't think that I don't know. It doesn't seem to be one that exists. What I did learn this week from watching Masterminds, which is pretty fun, is that 
the area in Florida where Cape Canaveral is, where they do the shuttle launches, was specifically mm-hmm. given the area code three, two, one. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, I like that. Also, I found the book. Okay. It's How Far the Light Reaches. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, Sabrina yeah. Imbler, of course. Yeah. Yes, so good. My, yes. One of my favorite, if not my favorite book that I read that year. Yes. It came out in December and nobody talked about it. <laughs> we did. We did. On Book Riot all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. We recommend it all the time. It's a great book. <laughs> it should be coming out on paperback soon, if it isn't already. Oh. I would think, because yeah. December. I, I don't understand anymore. It used to be like, books came out in hardcover, and then it was nine months later. Like, they were mm-hmm. having a baby. They would be in paperback. Yeah. And now, you know, they hold on to books for years and years and years and years if they yeah. do really well. And then there was something that's out in paperback I saw that just came out in hardcover in March. And that's like, that didn't seem that far. I don't mm-hmm. know. I have no idea. There's no rhyme or reason. It's madness. It's all madness. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about books today. Before we do that, I want to tell you about <gasps> TBR. Autumn is here, which means it's time to curl up with a great read and get cozy, whatever your version of cozy looks like. Whether it's romance, creepy reads, modern classics, or escapist reads you crave, TBR can help you find the perfect books for your fall reading with options curated to your specific reading tastes. Visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. And before we tell you about more books and bookish things, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. 
And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay. My first pick for today is one I wanted to tell you about a few weeks ago, but I got moved. And now it's here. Hooray. It is How to Say Babylon, a memoir by Sophia Sinclair. This is a remarkable memoir. It's already been picked for some of the big book clubs of the month. Uh, Sinclair talks about her life in Jamaica. Her father raised her and her siblings, Rastafari. I'm just going to give you the Google definition of what Rastafari means. It says, Rastafari is a religious and political movement that began in Jamaica in the 1930s and was adopted by many groups around the globe. It combines Protestant Christianity, mysticism, and a pan-African political consciousness. So this is how she was raised uh, and her everyone in her family. And her father demanded that they follow the strict rules for girls and women in the Rastafari religion. They had to cover their arms and legs with long clothing. They had to grow dreadlocks. They had to wear head wraps and they had to obey the men. Above all, you had to be subservient to the men in your family and in your religion. And Sinclair talks about what it was like growing up like this. She talks about her father's rage and his outbursts and how they got worse as he got older. And also about how hypocritical he was. Um, he insisted that they follow the rules of Rastafari, but he himself did not. Um, she grew up uh, you know, in a family. They were very sheltered and very afraid of him. And she talks about how she eventually broke away from her family, starting with the act of cutting off her locks, which was a big big deal. You were never supposed to cut your locks. She cut her locks and she lost her hair, but she gained her voice. And from that moment on, she felt more powerful and gained agency over her own life. Uh, I saw her talk about this book for a publisher event uh, on a virtual event, and it was just mesmerizing. I could have listened to her tell stories for days. I hope to one day see her in person at an event and and hear more stories because it was just incredible. This is a really beautiful, powerful memoir about culture, family, tradition, and patriarchy, and also about the racism and stereotypes people perpetuate about Rastafarians. This is How to Say Babylon, a memoir by Sophia Sinclair. All right. My first book I want to talk about is A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand. And if that sounds like a familiar title, it's definitely on purpose. I went into this with such high expectations because this is an official sequel to The Haunting of Hill House. It is approved. It takes place in Hill House, but in the present day with obviously a new cast. And it's also queer. And I am someone who has been arguing for the past decade that The Haunting of Hill House is queer too. So getting an official sequel where three of the four main characters are queer, that made me really happy. But it also meant it became my most anticipated new release of the year and definitely had high expectations for it. And I also was not really sure. I I don't envy Elizabeth Hand's job here because how do you write an official sequel to Hill House? And obviously no one else can be Shirley Jackson, but I think that Elizabeth Hand does a really good job 
of channeling the mood. I think the style and the theme feel complementary to the original in a satisfying way. There are nods and references to the original Hill House, but this stands as its own story. You don't even really need to read the original to pick this one up, though I think it's probably a little more fun if you have. We're following Holly, who is a playwright who has been making ends meet as a teacher, but she just got a $10,000 grant for her new play that she's putting on, which has a witchy theme. And so she's taken the semester off, the fall semester, to work on it, and she kind of randomly stumbles on Hill House, and as soon as she sees it, she realizes this is the place where she needs to finish her play. She wants everybody working on it to come together in this house and they're going to figure it out and it's going to be magical. So her girlfriend, Nisa, is contributing the music and she has the two main actors cast. One is her friend Stevie and the other is this aging star, Amanda. It really has what I want from a haunted house story. It is atmospheric and foreboding in the beginning, where every individual event you could kind of shrug off, but it's still very unnerving and you know it's building to something bigger. And in some ways, Holly's plan of making the play here, putting together the last touches, seems to work. They all gather in this dilapidated mansion. She somehow convinces the owner to let them rent it, even though she is very reluctant to do so. And the play seems to be going really well. Everything is clicking together. The performances are stunning. And then at the same time, their personal drama is just getting more and more heightened. And of course, there's all these weird things happening with the house. Amanda is paranoid that they're all judging her. Nisa has been sleeping with Stevie and Holly doesn't know it. And despite all their problems, despite the tricks that the host is playing on them, Holly is determined to have them complete this project. She is single-minded about bringing this dream to fruition. And then the snow begins to fall and they are stranded there. And that's when everything comes to a head. One interesting thing I found about this book is that each of the main characters is kind of insufferable. They're all selfish. They're all trying to manipulate each other to get more credit or more stage time. They can be cruel. They're hiding things. They've all done things in their past that are nothing to be proud of. But they're so interesting, (laughs) especially in how their personalities clash and play off each other. In the original, I really felt for Eleanor. I didn't really have one character I was rooting for in this one. Stevie kind of comes closest, but I don't feel like he's a quite as much of a main character as Holly and Nisa are. But that didn't take away from my enjoyment at all. I was still really invested. And I think that's kind of fun in a horror novel if everybody is a little bit unsufferable. While this takes place in the present day and it's a different writer, I think it really captures that feel of the original. And it did manage to live up to my high expectations. This is a creepy gothic haunted house story. So if you're into that, I definitely recommend it. A little note, this book has a lot of songs in it. They're sung in the audiobook, which is either a plus or minus of the format 
depending on how you feel about someone singing to you in an audiobook. So keep that in mind. And also, you should check out the YouTube versions of Hairs on the Mountain. That is a song that comes up a lot in the book. And you can hear the actual folk song that it's referencing. I do want to give content warnings for a discussion of child sexual assault and grooming, as well as a cheating bisexual character. And that is A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand. I need to read that. Oh, you need to read it. <laughs> I'm still scarred from The Haunting, that 1999 oh, adaptation yeah. <laughs> of The Haunting. I haven't watched like the new Netflix show stuff because I just keep thinking oh, really? about Catherine Zeta-Jones and Owen Wilson and yeah. Liam Neeson running around <laughs> in that really bad movie. I should, yeah. I should, you know, move on. I should reread The Haunting of Hill House, first of all. Yeah. yeah. And then- the nice thing about this is it's it's new characters. Like, there's not a lot of of overlap. It's really just the setting. So yeah, it does. It doesn't need to, you know, be quite so true to it as you would hope a movie adaptation would be. Well, all right. Moving on with the scary stuff because it is October now, if you can believe it. Uh, my next pick is Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror edited by Jordan Peele. The name Jordan Peele probably sounds familiar to you. He is an actor who started out on the sketch comedy Key and Peele. And as of late, and like, I feel like Get Out just came out, but it's been many years now. He has been writing and directing and producing horror films like Get Out, Us, Nope. He's also close with horror writer Tanner Eve, too, and he's been a guest in her class about horror, uh, black horror, which must have been so exciting for the students. Um, and he has compiled this anthology of stories from some of the most amazing authors working today, including Aaron E. Adams, Violet Allen, Maurice Broadus, P. Jelly Clark, Tanana Reeve Du, Nalo Hopkinson, N.K. Jemison, Nettie Okorafor, Tochi Onyabuchi, Rebecca Roanhorse, Ryan Milkar Scott, Terrence Taylor, and Cadwell Turnbull. I bet all of those names sound familiar because we have talked about them a million times on the show and in our newsletters and on Book Riot. It's just so exciting. Many of the stories in this collection incorporate the themes of the Black experience in America, including the racism and violence of the past and the present that still exists today. There are haunted houses, ghosts, aliens, malicious text messages, body horror, cosmic horror, African mythology. So many original stories. There's a story about two freedom riders who find themselves alone by the side of a road next to a field where something in it seems to be waiting for them. There's a woman who attempts to kill a beast, but instead is taken over by it. There's a cop who begins seeing actual human eyeballs instead of headlights on the cars he pulls over. In a sad story, a young man loses his identical twin to violence and isn't sure what to do with himself. A family inherits a house from a family member who was a hoodoo practitioner. And even more. These range from unsettling to horrifying. I think you should get it and then give yourself a treat. Every couple of days, read one of these stories. You know, for the month of October, because basically October should just be called the Halloween month now, because that's what it is. Although if you're like me or many of us here at Book Riot, it's Halloween every month. Uh, and this is Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror edited by Jordan Peele. Oh, and I do want to say these are horror stories. So content warnings for all kinds of horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. 
I've got to check that out. That is such an all-star lineup of authors. Yeah. And and I'm surprised like, they announced it. And then here it was, you know, it was yeah. only, I don't even think it was two months between the announcement and the publication. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's true. All right. I'm going to keep the horror and horror adjacent theme going with The Dead Take the A Train, which is book one of Carrie and City by Richard Cadry and Cassandra Kaw. One thing about a Cassandra Kaw book, I've talked about their books on the podcast several times before. I never know what I'm getting into. Each of their books is completely unique. And even two thirds of the way through this book, completely invested in the story, I kept thinking, what is this genre? And also, what is the plot of this book? Even though I was completely enjoying it. It follows Julie, who is a 30-year-old exorcist for hire. She is not quite scraping by in New York City. She takes on the deadliest and most gruesome jobs of carving monsters out of people, going head-to-head with demons. Her arms are wrapped with barbed wire magic, which she has to tear out in order to use these spells. She keeps a suitcase full of fresh organs in case she needs to swap any of hers out. And she is not making enough money to pay her rent, never mind to support her drug habit. She has also just broke up with her ex-boyfriend, Tyler, who works for an investment company that is mostly invested in souls, body parts, curses, and making deals with unfathomable gods. It's a kind of dog-eat-dog environment where you're much more likely to be killed gruesomely than promoted, but he loves it there and often hires Julie for the jobs that he doesn't want to get his hands dirty for. When Julie doesn't go along with one job, though, he plots revenge. And just as Julie is beginning to wonder how she can possibly scavenge up any cash, her high school friend Sarah shows up suddenly out of her door, and she has been secretly in love with Sarah for years. Which, side note, is my favorite kind of bisexual woman story where they just name all of the male love interests really casually, and then there's just her, <laughs> like this one woman in her life that she is absolutely obsessed with. I feel like I've read several books in that style now, and I always enjoy it. After a lot of prodding, Sarah admits why she's here, and it's because she is running from her abusive ex, Dan, and then she has to make Julie promise not to torture and kill Dan. And that's sort of the plot. It's sort of about two bisexual girls who are falling for each other while their ex-boyfriends try to ruin their lives. It's also probably the goriest book I've ever read. The descriptions are... Uh, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm on board! <laughs> The descriptions are definitely skin crawling, but at the same time, it doesn't really feel like horror to me, which is such an interesting juxtaposition. It is so gross. It is so grisly, but it doesn't feel like you're supposed to be afraid while you're reading it. Yeah, Liberty, I think you would love this and you definitely need to read it. If you're the kind of person who needs to understand the magic system of a fantasy world, this is probably not for you because it is a mess of different types of magic, demons, curses, eldritch gods, other inexplicable weirdness. It is dense with world building, and there's not really one thing weaving it all together. In fact, I actually thought that it complemented the setting because New York City is a real character in this story, and that kind of tangle of different kinds of magic, like everybody is living in these different worlds that overlap 
felt like it matched New York City to me. And in some ways, as I was pondering the genre, I thought it, it's kind of noir. It is about Julie trying to track down Dan, and she is constantly getting injured. And that dogged pursuit in a gritty environment while getting beaten down and somehow surviving feels like it would be at home in the noir genre, just with a lot more tentacles than usual. So just to keep things interesting... On top of that gritty kind of horror adjacent fantasy, maybe noir, at the heart of it is that really cute bisexual FF pining love story. I love a sapphic friends to lovers story. I won't spoil it and say whether they get together in the end, but it is very cute. I loved it. So I feel like that barely describes this book. I haven't talked about the angel or what the plot turned out to actually be about in the end or Tyler's point of view characters or all of the other point of views we get later in the book. I have to squeeze in the fact that there's a character who is cursed to not be able to die until he has sold every book in the bookstore to the right customer. And as a former employee of a used bookstore, I really felt that I'm pretty sure I've met several people with the same curse before. So if you can stomach gore and a lot of weirdness, I really recommend this one. It kind of reminds me of Welcome to Night Vale, but with a lot more blood. So if that's your vibe, you need to pick this up. The briefest content warnings, because there's a lot, but definitely gore, blood, violence, body horror, relationship abuse, though that's not described in detail, as well as drug use. And that is The Dead Take the A-Train by Richard Kadri and Cassandra Kaw. I love the cover of this book. Like, you look at it, and you're like, oh, it's a floral arrangement. Oh, no, it's a big tongue and some <laughs> no, teeth. It's no. really gross. <laughs> but at first, it it's so brightly colorful. Yeah. You know what you're getting into. <laughs> Every time I hear the title, then I think of Midnight Meat Train, which is a Clive Barker story, which is horrifying and disgusting, and then was a not very good movie. I think oh. it was Bradley Cooper, if I'm not mistaken. I think Bradley Cooper was in that one, yeah. It's not not very good. Unless you enjoy it, and then yeah, it's great. Uh, So those are some books out today that we read and loved, and now we're going to talk about more of today's releases in hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am so delighted to get my hands on, in the form of a question, The Joys and Rewards of a Curious Life by Amy Schneider. Amy Schneider is one of my new favorite celebrities. She is one of my favorite Jeopardy contestants. If no, she is my favorite Jeopardy contestant. Uh, we started watching Jeopardy here in my house uh, in September of 2021, and I'm so glad we did because we got to discover Amy Schneider along with the rest of the world. Uh, she was on the show for like a zillion episodes, and it's so great because in eighth grade... She was voted most likely to appear on Jeopardy by her classmates. And she did! And she was such a delight, and she was so smart, and she was so successful. I'm going to explain to you how successful by reading this little bit from her Wikipedia page, which is like, tell me you're recording a podcast with a migraine without telling me you're recording a podcast with a migraine. But from her Wikipedia, 
winning 40 consecutive games on the quiz show Jeopardy from November 2021 to January 2022 and the November 2022 Tournament of Champions, Schneider holds the second longest win streak in the program's history. She is the most successful woman and most successful transgender contestant ever to compete on the show in terms of both the length of her streak and her 1.6 million in winnings. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of games. She is the second most successful Jeopardy contestant of all time. And we started watching it, when I say we started watching it in 2021, when I was a little kid, I used to watch it with my grandmother and I used to watch it with my elderly neighbor. And so when we started watching it, I was like, I don't remember people having streaks that lasted this long. And that is because up until like 20 years ago, you were only allowed five wins on Jeopardy and then you were moved along. So like there were probably many, 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 many contestants in the history of the show who could have gone for much longer, but they didn't get to. Um, and now you do. And, and it's just amazing. And so Amy Schneider was on the show living her dreams. And it also brought a lot of harassment and hate, both in person and online, from transphobic people, from homophobic people, from, you know, just hateful, awful, jealous people. Um, but I love that in the end, she got to walk away with $1.6 million. Take that, haters. You know, and she talks about what it was like to be in this kind of spotlight while trying to realize her dreams. She also discusses, you know, growing up and, and what interested her and what she studied and what she liked to learn about and how she turned that into $1.6 million in winnings. And then after her Jeopardy run, she decided to become a full-time writer. She's just the best. I love following her on Twitter, uh, which I don't look at very much anymore because Twitter's just the worst, but she is the best. And it is in the form of a question, The Joys and Rewards of a Curious Life by Amy Schneider. That is definitely on my list too. Is that an audiobook? Because I would love the audiobook if she read it. There must be, right? Let's see. Audiobook. Yes, she reads it herself. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I need to I need to listen to that. So I want to talk about another horror book out today, which is The Forest Demands Its Due by Kasoko Jackson. You probably recognize that name from the books Yesterday is History and I'm So Not Over You, as along with some other ones. This one is about a queer Black teenager named Douglas Jones who goes to a prestigious boarding school called Regent Academy. And Regent is famous for producing graduates who go on to achieve great things. But there are also dark rumors surrounding the school, just like the dark woods around it. And when a student is murdered, Douglas is the only one who remembers he ever existed. Him, at least, and the groundskeeper's son named Everett Everly. And as they begin to investigate, they realize that Regent has been making deals in order to have so much success, and that there is a centuries-old monster in the woods who is about to collect on his debts. And finding that monster gives Douglas a chance for more power than he's ever had access to before, but it also comes with the risk of corrupting him. This one is being compared to A Lesson in Vengeance, The Taking of Jake Livingston, and Ace of Spades. It's a dark academia story with a queer romantic subplot. It looks like this is a dark supernatural mystery thriller that isn't particularly gruesome or scary based on the early reviews. So it might be a good choice if you want a Halloween adjacent read, but you don't want to go to a truly terrifying horror book. And that is The Forest Demands Its Due by Kasoko Jackson. Also very excited about that one. Yeah, looks so good. All right, before I tell you about my next pick, 
Or is it picks? We are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Because today is such a huge new release day, and you know how I hate making decisions, I decided to do a little roundup of half a dozen other books that are coming out today that I thought should be on your radar, starting with The List by Yomi Adegoke. This is a debut about a journalist whose life is upended when she learns about a list of names of men going around on social media calling for these men to be canceled for sexual harassment and assault. And the journalist discovers that her fiancé's name is on the list. Edenville by Sam Rebeline. This is a debut horror novel about a writer named Campbell who is invited to be the writer-in-residence at Edenville College. His girlfriend doesn't want to move there. She grew up near Edenville and has heard weird rumors about the town and she just thinks it's a bad place and a bad idea. But Campbell, who has been suffering from writer's block since his first semi-successful novel was published, thinks this is what he needs to turn his life around and convinces her to move with him. And yep, it's gonna turn out to be a bad idea. Making It So, a memoir by Patrick Stewart. This is, I should say, Sir Patrick Stewart, who is 83 years old now, this is his first memoir, and he discusses his career over the last six-plus decades. Most famously, he played Captain Picard in the Star Trek The Next Generation, and now, you know, on Picard, 
as well as Professor Xavier in the X-Men film franchises. There was a rumor when they announced this book that originally that he wasn't going to read the audiobook, which sent a lot of people into a tizzy, but do not fret. I looked it up. He does indeed read the audiobook, so that will be great because he has such a great voice. Do you know, there was, uh, originally he was a narrator of uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was cut from the screen version, but you can hear it in various other versions and also on the soundtrack, like he does a reading at the beginning of the movie, which is going to be 30 years old on October 23rd, if you can believe it. But moving on, A Man of Two Faces, a memoir, a history, a memorial by Viet Tan Nguyen. Viet Tan Nguyen is the Pulitzer Prize winning author of The Sympathizer, as well as several other books, including The Sympathizer sequel, which just, I think the TV show is out now. It was turned into a TV show. I believe it's it's out now. I haven't seen it yet. Um, this is a memoir that was just long listed for the National Book Award about how he and his family had to flee Vietnam when he was four, uh, how they moved to America. His parents opened a grocery store and... Uh, Several years later, they were shot and injured in a robbery of that store. Uh, He talks about his idea of America that he had and his family had when they moved here and the reality of it and what it means to be both from America and Vietnam. It sounds incredible. I'm sure this will be on the shortlist. Starling House by Alex E. Harrow, another author we love here at Book Riot. Harrow has written The 10,000 Doors of January, The Once and Future Witches, A Spindle Splintered. This is a book about a children's author in Kentucky in the 19th century who wrote a famous children's book called The Underland. Everybody loved this book, but the author disappeared from her home, the Starling House. It was never explained. Now, many years later, her unfriendly, misanthropic heir lives in that house And there is a young woman named Opal who has a chance to go inside the Starling house in return for cash, which she desperately needs for herself and her brother. Uh, And she's going to find out that the house is still holding on to a lot of secrets. It makes me think of the Rabbit Back Literature Society, which is fun to say, but not as easy as it sounded. And I can't think of the author's name. It's, It's I'm blanking on the author's name. But it is also a really fun book about a beloved children's author who goes missing. I highly recommend that one as well. I'll drop it in the show notes so you can find it again. And also out today is Company Stories by Shannon Sanders. This is a collection of stories from the great Grey Wolf Press. We love them. They're interconnected stories about a black family, the Collins, and their lives over half a century from the 1960s to present day, From New York City to Atlantic City to D.C., it's getting amazing reviews. It sounds fantastic, and I'm excited about that one as well. So that's a little little mini roundup of exciting books out today. Um, And like I said, there's, I think just looking at my notes without having gone through the catalogs yet, I have about 200 titles in my list. So, whew, lots of books. (laughs) Well, I've got one more, which is Death Valley by Melissa Broder. I read Milk Fed by Melissa Broder two years ago, and it destroyed me. And have you ever read a book you liked so much that you didn't want anyone else to read it? Because that's how I felt. (laughs) Yes, I'm experiencing that right now because my husband is reading my favorite science fiction novel. Oh, really? And he's not enjoying it, and it's making me mad. 
<laughs> no, no. Yeah, this is one of those books where I feel so defensive about it, especially because it's such a weird book that I feel like other people won't necessarily get it. And I just feel like I need to protect it, <laughs> which is why I am... Understandable. Yeah, I'm excited and a little intimidated by picking up Death Valley because... What if it doesn't live up to milk fed? And also, what if it does? I don't know if I could handle that. <laughs> this is what I know about Death Valley. Other than that, I wasn't approved for it in time to read it for today. So that's too bad. But it's about a woman whose husband and father are both seriously ill, and she is struggling to cope. So she goes to the California desert to escape, where the receptionist at her hotel recommends that she goes for a hike. And on the hike, she finds an impossibly large cactus and crawls inside of it, which starts her on some kind of journey. And that's all I know about the plot. The reviews are calling this darkly funny and poignant. It's an absurdist desert survival story about an existential crisis. I said that milk fed was weird, but this seems to be on a different level. I am very much looking forward to going on this strange journey, even though I know very little about it. But that is definitely enough for me to be looking forward to picking that up. And that is Death Valley by Melissa Broder. As soon as anyone ever mentions a cactus in the desert, I immediately think of Spike, Snoopy's brother, who lives in Needles. <laughs> yeah. With, like, his super droopy mustache and his silly yeah. hat, like his Indiana Jones hat. I don't know why. It's the things we remember from when we were little. Or mm. maybe I was reading Snoopy last week. Who knows? I was not, but I should. Maybe I'll read it later. All right, so... Those are books out today that we are excited about, books that we have read that we are excited about. I just want to give you a brief roundup of some scary paperback releases out today, since it is the month of Halloween. Starting with A History of Fear by Luke Dumas, about a grad student in Scotland who confesses to the murder of a classmate, but claims that the devil made him do it. And as you read the book, you will find out whether or not that is the truth. Loot by Jennifer Thorne. Which sounds a little bit like the lottery, since we were talking about Shirley Jackson. Uh, sort of like the Wicker Man. It's about an island where every seventh summer, seven people die. This is tradition. This is how it's done. But then a new person moves to the island and apparently kind of has a problem with that. Doesn't want to be one of the seven. So things are going to change. And White Horse by Erica T. Worth about a young indigenous woman who receives a bracelet that belonged to her mother her mother who abandoned her when she was just a baby. But the gift comes with an angry spirit that won't leave her alone and seems to be related to her mother's disappearance. So those are some great scary books that are now out in paperback. And Danica, what are you going to read next? Yeah, I am in the middle of Some Desperate Glory by Emily Tesh, which was talked about on the podcast when it came out. And I have heard so many great things about it. It's a queer military space opera. And that is a genre I have trouble getting into. So it took me a little bit, but now I am very invested and excited to see how it ends. What are you reading next? So I am actually reading a book that comes out today. I just started it. It's called One Puzzling Afternoon by Emily Critchley, which is a mystery novel with an octogenarian detective, which is, like I said a few shows ago, really in. Elderly detectives are in this year. Um, and I'm also excited to start 
The American Daughters by Maurice Carlos Ruffin, which comes out on February 27th of next year. I loved his novel, We Cast a Shadow. And this one is a historical novel about a young black woman who joins a sisterhood working to undermine the Confederates. So also in my wheelhouse of history. Very excited about that. And that is it for us today. You can sign up for TBR or find out more information about TBR by visiting mytbr.co. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com and tell us about your pets or your area code. Or if you live in the 433 and, you know, tell me where you are because I don't know. Danica, where can people find you online? You can mostly find me at the Lesbury, L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y dot com. That's my blog. What about you? I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us and we appreciate it so, so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.